0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut episode of our wrestling podcast. So without further ado, the following podcast is scheduled for one fall. And today's topic, what got me into professional wrestling and the times that we met professional
1: wrestlers. So welcome to the OWP, this is our wrestling podcast This is Butters along with Jess Hi Dave And Cuz yeah, what's up bud Just giving you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling from our standpoint There's no inside sources here, no ties to the industry Just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you Now on to our topic today What got us into wrestling Hey guys, this is episode 1 of the OWP Thank you for joining us uh, As I said, this is Dave And we're going to talk about what got us into wrestling We're also going to share, uh, share with you Just a few uh, wrestling encounters along with those things, those particular encounters that got us hooked. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. I think I am the most boring about what got me into wrestling because it was so easy for me. So I'll start if that's okay with you guys. What do you think? Do what you got to do, bud. Do it. Do it. So I'll tell you guys, just to give uh, some of these listeners an an idea of what happened when we were kids, when we were younger, you didn't have Monday Night Raw. You didn't have SmackDown. What you had – was uh, Saturday Morning Wrestling and and uh, Sunday Super... There was like Saturday Superstars and then Sunday... I can't remember what the name uh, was. Wrestling Challenge. Wrestling Challenge, thank you. And one day I was just flipping through the channels because, uh, as I was telling you guys before, we had a lot of things when we were kids. Uh, we were pretty uh, privileged, I must admit. But cable television just wasn't one of them. <laughs> so we had all of like seven channels to choose from. As you're flipping through those seven channels, all of a sudden on Saturday morning after cartoons are over... I'm starting to see Saturday Morning Superstars, and I let it lay there for a second. I got instantly <clears throat> hooked by this content of literally these these massive because you know in the in the days of WWE this is by by the way WWF at the time these are the land of the giants as everybody calls it. So there couldn't have been a wrestler there that was a superstar that wasn't more than 280. You know if they were high level. So you're watching these 280 300 pound guys. Destroy what we called prelims. Now we we discover they call them enhancement talent. They basically pick up talent locally from the area, and just let the superstars pummel them for about five to
2: ten minutes. Most of them had actual farmer stands.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure, right? Culture bowl. I'm pretty sure I could have been one of those uh, local talents at one point. They're like, "Hey, bro, you want to get in the ring? Let's go! Here's a hundred bucks." Right back in those days, and they would literally tear those guys' heads off. And it was great because. Uh, Back in those days, you saw every clean uh, move that 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 superstar could do, and you caught every finisher. Everything was clean. There was no, oh my gosh, this guy might win. You knew who was going to win as soon as they set foot into that ring. And everything was pre-taped. We didn't know it back then. And everything was predetermined, pre-recorded. So it looked really clean. But there was something about these big, huge guys just destroying people and watching that product on TV, and I was instantly hooked. So... And just to give you guys an idea, this is the, the days of Hogan, the days of Savage. But we never saw Savage and Hogan actually wrestle on Saturday mornings. Those were safe for the pay-per-views. Those were safe for WrestleManias. You would see them cut a promo maybe, but you would never see them wrestle. So for the for the 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 B-team players, C-team players that were destroying people on TV, watching Macho Man and Hogan and even Warrior uh, later on cut this fantastic promo, and maybe you'd see them on a Piper Hit or the Brother Love episodes uh, later on I was instantly hooked I think I told Justice later on, I never even saw a pay-per-view until I went to Justice's house like a year or two later, it was crazy, it was like years later down the road before I saw superstars actually wrestling, superstars or you would go to a friend's house and try to watch Saturday Night's Main Event, which I would always fall asleep in Miss Hogan at the end of the night because I was a big wuss, couldn't stay up that late, but for me, that's what got me hooked, man. It was it was an amazing time uh, watching this happen. It's completely different from what you'd see today. Uh, for, for now, I think I'd like to turn it over to Jess. Hey, Jess, what,
2: what got you into into wrestling? It probably what everybody thinks. It was completely Hulk Hogan. I don't even remember why I turned on wrestling for the first time. I was 10 years old. I started watching in like either the very, very late 87 or early 88. I want to say it was pretty much probably on the border. It was probably in December of 87, something like that. And um, I turned on uh, back then, I think it was channel 11 and it had wrestling challenge on, which was their syndicated show on Saturdays. And that was their, that was their main vehicle. That was what they, how they made all their feuds and, and told all the storylines. They would film it uh, in one day and tell like four weeks worth of stories. So they would tape like four weeks worth of TVs and then, Back then there was only like two or three pay-per-views a year. So they had plenty of time in between to really just make these, or they, they planned out storylines to the next Saturday night's main event. And I turned it on and it was, uh, uh, Sam Houston and Terry Gibb was the match I turned it on to. And I'll never forget that match because right after Sam Houston, uh, pinned him with the devastating bulldog, they went to a video package of these two guys fighting for the WWF championship, from the last Saturday night's main event. So they go to this video package and it's this big tan guy in, in yellow trunks and, you know, blonde balding hair. But for some odd reason, the balding worked I don't know why. Um, and he was taking on King Kong Bundy. And I watched these, this clip of uh, Andre, the giant interfering and, and all this stuff. And it just I just got hooked and I got hooked on Hogan. I just, for some odd reason, I was like, this is guy. I, this is the guy I want to watch. This is the guy that just caught my attention. Bundy, give him the big one. Give him the big one. Is he going to set him up? What's he going to do? Bundy with Hogan to the buckle. Here comes Bundy. A second avalanche. Nobody, I mean nobody's going to get up from a second avalanche.
1: Cover him, Bundy. Cover him. Bundy's demanding a five count, but he's not covering. Wait a minute, McMahon. His foot's touching Hogan's. That should be a legal count right
2: there. His foot was touching Hogan coming by the free. no! It should have been the championship anyway. Bundy's foot was touching Hogan's on that five-count, McMahon. Deny that.
0: I can't deny that, but I can't deny this. Hoxler somehow back on his feet, reversing it. Here's Bundy to the buckle. Bundy to the back. Hoxler drops to the
2: left. And ever since then, I have been a huge Hogan fan. And he's the reason why I started watching wrestling. You hear a lot of guys, you know, when when they talk now in their autobiographies or their documentaries, you know, yeah, I started watching because of Hogan. I mean, you know, a lot of people, a lot of time has gone by, so a lot of people can say, oh, I started watching wrestling because of Brad or Sean, but I started watching wrestling in 87, 88, and it was Hogan for me, and um, I, I... because of him, I really fell in love with the business of it. Once I got older, I started understanding, you know, just how fake it was. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean I started understanding, oh, wow, it's like a – it's a soap opera. And it's – it's there's a lot of production that goes into it. There's a lot of – and there's, there's serious fans. Like wrestling fans are really serious and really dead serious about their product. It's so funny how we'll, we'll totally watch this ridiculous soap opera, you know, f- Undertaker and Kane summoning lightning from the ceiling of the fucking arena and it's obviously ridiculous like just saying it out loud I'm like huh but when it was happening you know people were just like oh my god like they are just into the story if, if wrestling is done right um, and the characters can reach outside of the television and capture your interest it's it's all good you know and there's different ways to do that and Hogan did that for me and uh, I just the way it was and then I, I started really enjoying other guys like Savage and uh Roberts and uh I mean heck I'll be, I'm not a warrior fan but when warrior first came on the scene he was electric I mean he was a guy that everybody remembers um tons of guys like I mean people make fun of him now but beefcake uh was a big deal like when I first started watching wrestling like beefcake
1: he was, was so over
2: he was super over so honky over. was like one of the biggest heels you'd ever seen like honky tonk man and uh from there I, I started I our friend Joe got me involved in WCW in like 91. Uh, so I was watching wrestling for a couple of years in the WWF before I met Joe and Joe was just like, Oh, do you watch uh, I have cable and I get TBS and I have, uh, you know, this uh, show I watch, I watch NWA wrestling, you know, do you know who Flair is? And I had gotten the magazine. So I'd seen pictures of Flair and the road warriors and dusty and dusty obviously went through WWF as polka dotted dusty, but, but I, always kind of saw those guys and then i started watching wcw after that and the rest is well history i just stuck with it that's
1: amazing when you think about it when you're talking about the hogans of the world and everyone said oh yeah i got it with Brad. i got it with Shawn michaels and a lot of those guys were there at that time but they had to work their way up and hogan really was the the a show at that moment and it's funny if you were in it 10 years before that it was bruno and other guys you know you know the san martinos of the world and but hogan is really where everything changed the whole world you know, of wrestling.
2: Well, and uh, we got actually. lucky because yeah, honestly, the, the rock and wrestling era from eighty three on mm-hmm. uh was Vince's dream in the sense that he took it national. He didn't want the WWF to be just regional territory. Vince yeah. wanted to own the world. That was his plan when he bought the company from his dad. And and I know I'm not trying to, you know, suckle on his teat or anything like that, but everybody says that. You know, I know that all the WWE documentaries now is kind of revisionist history because they want, they beat WCW and they bought everybody out. So WWE can tell the story however they want, but without getting too detailed, you know, like in getting, getting too scandalous with some sure. of the stories, like Vince did put everything on the line legitimately. And he had this vision and he was a shark about it. He was ruthless in doing it, but he wanted uh, to take over the world. He wanted the whole market and uh, territories fell and people were, you know, bashing him for you're killing wrestling. And maybe it did, you know, getting rid of some of the territories, you get rid of these places where rookies can develop and find their voice and find their character before they get exposed on national television. But it is what it is. I mean, Vince did what he, his vision, what his dream was. And um, I think the reason why we remember wrestling so much and why it caught our attention was because I don't know. I mean, I know there was LA wrestling, but that would have been the only place that we could have caught it growing up out here. Yeah. You know, really you always hear about the Carolinas or Texas or Florida, you know, all that stuff, New York and New Jersey for Vince Sr. Um, But out here in L.A., I know that people uh, wrestled at the Olympic Auditorium and stuff like that out in L.A., but I've never – I knew that promotions came through here. But there was really no massive – someone's probably going to listen to this and be like, bullshit, of course there was. It was the – WCCA and you know, whatever, but I mean, there really well, wasn't got, a huge independent wrestling work
1: for those guys, and it's go fuck yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, LA wasn't a massive hotbed wrestling, I think, passed through LA. And I yeah. know that they, you know, up in the Cow Palace in Frisco, that's where it was, right? Yeah, yeah, that, like, and the,
1: that's, that's all great. And it yeah. did go through Frisco, but you know what? I could sit in my house and watch this shit on. fucking Well, yeah, that's my television. point. Yeah. is
2: like we were able to get hooked on it easier rather than just my grandfather, his. His drinking buddy couldn't go in week, so he took me down to the Torium and I saw Stu, and I saw, and that's great if that's he how took you me became. On a
1: six hour drive to San Francisco. Oh, and we—it yeah, was amazing, so. and
2: all these guys were screaming and hollering with their cigars. And,
1: yeah, I can watch. I can watch the Muppet Babies. Bruiser in the Brody came out in the like fucking afternoon, bro. That's how his, it works. Goddamn.
2: I mean, and be, and let's be honest—like we also came up in the era of steroids, so that fantastic. was fantastic. Uh, that was, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Super bloated and fantastic. Hey, everybody. Sounds everybody, like Hogan. Everybody, <laughs> really? I mean,
1: everybody really. Everybody the steroid. You, you want to try to fucking front Well, to it,
2: I know we're going off on a tangent, uh, but at the <laughs> same time, time, like, it. it's. I think it still haunts the industry to this day. I mean, as good as the athletes are nowadays, uh, you know, without talking about creative or where they wrestle for nowadays, the athletes are phenomenal. Like, yeah. the wrestlers now are just amazing, and they're clean. I would say the majority of them Most are of extremely are. clean. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like you know, hey, man, look. Oh, hey, what? Before steroids were illegal, they were legal, and yeah. and the guys were just doing them. And obviously, we look back on it now, and you see most of them need their hip replaced eight hundred times just just from the wrestling alone. But you know, when you also you know roid your yeah. body up that much, you're going to do irreversible damage to incredible. your bones and your ligaments and everything. Um, but I mean, heck, <laughs> you had yeah. Hogan was a superhero, right? A macho Man, even though he was a normal size guy as far as height was concerned, Macho baby. Man's fingers were like friggin' like. Bowling bi- like pins.
1: As stupid as it sounds, I mean, people in the 40s and 50s didn't think that smoking was actually hurting them. You
2: well, know, doctors you're, said you're, it was healthy. Doctors told you're, women you're, who were pregnant to smoke. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're getting, you're getting, which st- I still
2: think is a solid advice. You're, yeah, let's very do it. great you're, advice. But you're
1: getting steroids prescribed from a doctor, and and they knew it was enhancing their bodies, but didn't think it was. They didn't, no one knew what it was going to do. Bronze. Well, and then you
2: got the the way they play both sides. The critics of wrestling like to play both sides. Sure. When sure. when they want wrestling to be considered a real sport, they'll bash people for drugging and steroiding and all that stuff. But then when they don't want it to be a real sport and fake, they'll make it fake and you and know shit it's on the, it. Yeah, and shit on it. That's the critics of wrestling. You know, but don't that, take steroids. But but Sylvester Stallone when he wants to beef up for Rocky twenty, he could take steroids and no one and, gives and two shits. Incredible a shape he's but in. But if yeah. but if Hogan roids, then oh he's a, he's a cheater. Cheater yeah. at what though? I thought you said wrestling is fake. Well. Uh, the people they are dying, yeah, right, they're dying because they're also drinking, uh, you know, 12 beers in a three hour span every single and night. Nancy Grace is and in the world, yeah, and then they're popping pills to put themselves to sleep, yeah, fat bitch. <laughs> Whoa, <wait>. Nancy Grace, <laughs> that's, know that's fine. Is it? You don't have to call her fat, that might be true. No, Dave, it's, green, a, it's a fact on Wikipedia that she's a right. fat fact. Bitch. All
1: right, we're we're sliding, we're, sliding, <laughs> we're sliding down the landslide now, so that's fine. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with great you great on song. that. It's a uh, totally different time, and. But it is what got us hooked. I think we have someone on the, uh, a little bit later in the gens that got hooked a little bit differently. Cause tell us what got you into Later, wrestling. but
0: I mean, it was Not that uh, much later, but later. 89 or so. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. All I know is uh, I traveled to uh, Jess's house over here. And I love telling this story because I get to talk about and reminisce about the person that got me into pro wrestling, and it was Hogan Superior. And I just remember walking into Justice's house one day. Steve Austin
2: wasn't wrestling, I don't think, at that time. Maybe he was in Texas. (laughs) It it was actually the second. So Austin's first, and then this guy's second. Hogan's third. Uh,
0: Austin would actually be this guy's superior, and then this guy's superior. Superior. If you have to explain the list, it's not. It's not (laughs) a good list. It's a great list. Because Hogan's in third, baby. Um, But (laughs) so you know, I come into Justice's house. You know, walk around. And for those of you
2: people who he's not. His nickname is Cuz, but he's actually legitly my cousin, yeah. so that we did grow up together. Was dubbed
0: by uh, your younger brother, Shane, Shane Birch, Shane Fatboy Birch, whose favorite wrestler is Triple H. That's all you need to know about that. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I turned the corner into the living room of Jess's house, and uh, there he is in, in his Shawn Michaels Playgirl pose, laying on his side with his uh, face resting in his hand. He used to lay on my floor, Yes. Yes. And uh, there he is. I see him in all his glory running down to the ring with tassels flaring from his arms and makeup on his face, shaking the ropes. The ultimate warrior is who got me into professional wrestling. <laughs> there you go. There's a little, little warrior snorts,
1: snort snorting
0: his coke. That's what he's definitely snorting with all that energy he's running out with and all his promos about spaceships and everything. That was great.
1: Splash. One, two. He got him! He got him! Unbelievable!
0: The Warriors won the title! We have a new
1: us! Little, little, little sidebar. You know, you know our, our beloved Mean Gene Okerlund passed away just recently. And you know the one person he said he couldn't work with? The fucking warrior. Most well, everybody says can't. Guess what? Now
0: he's stuck with him. <laughs>
1: no, right? in the afterlife. They're giving shitty promos in heaven, brother. They're
0: sharing rooms. He's still interviewing Macho Man, though. No more questions, yeah. Huh? The cream of the crop. Still yeah. one of the greatest promos, and that and the cup of co- cup of coffee in the big time. Huh? Great. Shit. So he would be the second guy, though, because
1: yeah, Macho Man and Warrior. Were, <laughs> those were my guys, man. Yeah. Hey, you know, because it, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna I'm gonna send the ball your way. We said we're gonna uh, talk about wrestling encounters. You know, I'll tell you, I think I have the least of them because, uh, as I talked about earlier, these assholes went to New Orleans without me a few years back for WrestleMania, and I'm still pissed about it because my punk ass couldn't afford it. But uh, they had some amazing encounters, and because I'd like to start with you, we said we'd get into that. Uh, I know you had some fantastic encounters with uh, with Del Rio, and also some encounters in New Orleans. I think you might want to save that Del Rio for last fantastic story, but she sure. had some stuff with Sin Cara as well. So what what do you got there? Tell us, tell us about your encounters in uh, what, what I can't remember what WrestleMania was. WrestleMania 34, baby. 34 in yeah, New Orleans. Orleans. Tell us yeah. all about it.
0: Great time over there, man. I mean, just, you know, you and uh, Joe and Craigers uh, there, you guys, you guys got the experience, the same stuff we did. Obviously we experienced the uh, different wrestling encounters. The first one that was actually cool was, was uh eric bischoff um this was literally right after you saw him i believe jess uh but we were uh we were standing at the the cross <clears throat> we're gonna cross the street and we're at the light you know we're waiting for it to lo- allow us to pass through and uh we start walking and from across the street i see a very distinct figure i'm like man that guy's hairstyle and hair color like he reminds me of somebody and he's on all like he's wearing a black suit jacket and everything and he gets closer, and I look at him. I'm like, Bischoff. And he looks up. And he's like, Hey, what's up, guys? And then we and then he walks away. And then you know, my wife and a couple of my friends that were with me, they were like, What? And I'm like, That was fucking Eric Bischoff that just walked right past us right now. And they turn and there he is, Eric Bischoff. He just casually, Hey, what's up, guys? So Eric Bischoff was pretty cool. And then we went to the Fan Access the next day, and uh, we had a couple of great encounters there. Jason Jordan. We met Jason Jordan. We met the Ascension uh, Sanity. Uh, we got to encounter uh, Trish Stratus. We were, we were going to go to the bathroom and a uh, security guard stopped us. She's like, hold up. And through the curtains to the right of us, Trish Stratus right in front of us, just walks right in front of us, just like that. And then right after she passes us through um, or passes through by us, uh, you see Apollo Crews, Titus O'Neil, and Zack Ryder walk right past us like nothing. We took pictures of them. They smiled and everything for us. Uh, but then we got to stand in line for uh, the, Lucha, the Lucha Dragons sincara and uh kalisto and uh they're they're tiny compared to what you see on tv i mean i know kalisto already looks small but man that guy is freaking short like he was shorter than crystal he's a he's a tiny motherfucker and then uh uh, sincara sincara was about my height but uh we were we were posing for the picture with them and sincara you know he's trolling me so he's he's all so where are you guys from and i'm like oh california and he's like where's that and I'm just standing there, and I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. And I look at him, because I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, dude, you fucking travel the world. You know exactly where that's at. And I look at him, and he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's like Triumph, the, the comic dog. But uh <laughs> yeah, for so me the, to poop on yeah, that's Where's exactly Canada what he, he's trolling so us like, like that. Poop was like, on it. <laughs> I have to go,
2: I'm on the pre show, I'm late. Yeah, he was about oh, to fight me. I'm just, sorry, that was a a for that. <laughs> that was rude. It's just good to be there. It's just good to be on the car. Yeah, was he was party. gonna fight I me apologize. just
1: for no
0: reason. Yeah. Just like he's fought in Chris Jericho and Simon Gotch backstage.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: But uh but yeah, those are the encounters in New Orleans. I mean, we've had several encounters before that. Um I met Sam Roberts actually at a Monday Night Raw before he, he was actually employed by WWE. Mm. Uh, it was actually the first show that Crystal and I went to together.
1: He's writing for them now, right? Or no?
0: I don't think he's writing for them. He's just doing, like, their, um, their pre-show segments and everything. Mm. And he'll do, like – He's the, had a
2: podcast uh, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, the yeah,
0: yeah. Sam Roberts podcast. But um, it was funny. It was it, That's how I knew him. I knew him from his podcast, and I used to listen to him. And uh, I, I would follow, like, his Instagram and stuff. But this was before he was actually employed with WWE. So no one knew who he was. And we were walking around the lobby area of the, uh, the arena. We were at the, the Honda Center in Anaheim. And I noticed, I, he's very distinct looking too himself, you know, with his red curly hair and everything, almost like crusty the crusty Clown or something. But um, <clears throat> I see him walking and I'm like, I'm like, I know that guy. I'm like, Sam Roberts? And he looks at me, he's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, can I take a picture with you? So I actually have a picture of that. But that was a cool little encounter. But the, the best encounter that I had uh, was Del Rio. So we went to a a Monday Night Raw, me, my brother, and a couple of our friends in uh, San Diego. And this was the night after John Cena. This was when John Cena was on his uh, open challenge uh, run for the United States Championship. And uh, it was at Hell in a Cell the night before. I think they were in Sacramento, if I'm not mistaken, for that. Or maybe even in L.A. They may have been in L.A. for that. But uh, it was the opening match of the night of the main card. And, uh, that's when Zeb Coulter came out and he said, here's your opponent. And, you know, and it was, uh, Alberto Del Rio and Del Rio came out and shocked everybody beating Cena in like seven minutes with a super kick. And, uh, so the next, the next day we went to the Monday Night Raw in San Diego at the Valley View Casino, uh, arena. And we were standing in the parking lot because we saw wrestlers coming in and getting out of their cars. We saw Dean Ambrose and Cesaro. They waved at us. Dean Ambrose was cool. He, he was, he looked like he was in a rush grabbing all of his luggage and uh, he was walking to the, you know, to go to the arena, and some like SA guy was like, "Hey, Dean, my daughter's your biggest fan, eh?" And Dean Ambrose is like, "All right, come on, come on." And he like t- called them over, and he signed their autographs. And he starts signing everyone's autographs, and we were just standing there, and all of a sudden they opened the gates, and Del Rio comes out, and everyone like crowds around him. He has the United States Championship around his waist. He's he's shaking hands, signing autographs, and a kid fully decked out in John Cena gear walks up to him. And Del Rio looks down at him and he says, "Get that shit out of here!" And dude, everyone just starts laughing. It was fucking great, dude. It was that fucking poor great. I actually had that on scarred for yeah, life, it, bro. Good. Well, He's yeah. probably still he crying gets. like two years later. That is what he gets.
1: Yeah, well, so much for little kids um, having a great wrestling experience, because so that's that's just fucking fantastic. Well, so they, don't, don't
0: bring the kids to the wrestling. They so were the ones that ruined it in the first place.
1: Oh, my God. Maybe they ruined it because Del Rio told them to fuck off and get the fuck out of because you weren't seeing the material. He said man. the word shit, David. So get no. that shit out of here. Get that shit out of here. Get that shit out of here. Fuck all, be all That's right.
0: they told Paige after.
1: Rewinding back a little bit, you know, to going back to Nolan's, Uh, We had a fantastic experience that Jess told us about in an elevator with someone who uh, you just didn't quite recognize. Jess, can you tell us about that? Great story.
2: Um, Yes, I. Well, we were we stayed a little bit away from the venue, but um, just to give a brief description of what that weekend was. WrestleMania is at a stage now where it literally takes over the city. For three full days. Like it mm-hmm. dominates it Friday, it dominates it Saturday, it dominates it, well for like five days to be honest. It it's dominates like, it's not it,
1: WrestleMania, it's WrestleMania week. Yeah, it's WrestleMania weekend it literally into like the week. Or Thursday.
2: So, yeah, that people fly in as, as early, like Huzz said Wednesday and uh the WWF <laughs> WWE. Well, can we make a rule real quick before I tell my story? When sure. I refer to it, I'm gonna call it what it was at the time. What drives yeah. me oh, nuts? Nice. But what see what drives me nuts though is what was I listening I to the other day? Where, uh, oh, on like on Conrad's podcast with either Shivani, Shivani still calls it WWE. Even when he was talking about his stint there in 89, Shivani's like, and then they they called me from WWE. And I'm like, it was WWF back then. And you're not on a WWE produced podcast. So call it what it was. So that's my rules. I'm going to call it WWF when it was WWF. And I'm going to call it WWE when it was WWE. I second that. That's it. That's it. Well, before, before. And that's we- why I'm not telling the elevator story because I'm mad about that. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so basically what they do is they, they come in, they fly in as early as Wednesday or Thursday. And then, I mean, it's, it's five days of just, they WWE is so big and WrestleMania weekend is so big, it literally shuts the city down. I mean, uh, being on Bourbon Street first of all was an experience in itself. You you should just go anyway, like because Bourbon Street is something to behold. But um, when when it's full of nothing but wrestling fans, it was pretty awesome. Wow. We were walking down the street, and all the clubs are you know the front doors are open and it's facing the street. And uh, I mean, literally, you you're shoulder to shoulder with people. It was fun. Yeah, it's like Main Street on Disneyland, like all that's, the way down. That's so and, cool. So but every club was banging wrestling music. Wrestling it was theme fucking songs, awesome. People yeah. in the streets singing to it. Yeah, the they had like the live the, oh my god. The uh you know like the the street performers in New Orleans and yeah. stuff they're all playing like Shinsuke's music John or Cena. John Cena like yeah and they were like singing it like acoustically or you know and all that stuff. It was awesome. Like was wow. fucking fun. The whole it was awesome. Like it's just to see a whole city taken over. I felt I've never felt more at home because you know yeah. uh, even when wrestling's mainstream if you're in a room full of people who don't like wrestling, you feel kind of icky, you feel weird. But like uh, I was in the city that was literally all wrestling, all wrestling fans like and even the clubs knew like the bars knew to put up wrestling posters to name drinks. You would go in and some drinks and specials were named after wrestlers for that weekend. Like it was awesome. So, a, um, and
1: that's really amazing how a city so embraces fun. it like that. I'm not sure if another city would ever embrace it to that extent. That's pretty cool. I, I think I, I, mean,
2: I didn't realize that. When you I think every city it. does, but yeah, yeah I mean, like in Vegas, yeah. it's hard because, like, you know, the hotel that they're staying in or having the event in will probably deck out, you know, a little bit and you put some posters up in the elevators, whatever. But yeah, this the whole culture like changed to wrestling, it was really like awesome. It was really a wrestler's dream, to be honest, like just to be in that environment. Sure. Uh, even if there was no WrestleMania that weekend, the fact that it was that environment was pretty awesome. Yeah. And um, so but that's the way it was. So basically like on Saturday, uh, NXT was that night and all throughout the weekend too, there was in every indie promotion, Ring of Honor. Uh, I believe, P- I-, I don't know if PWG was up there or not, um, but a lot, you know, Ring of Honor was up there. Um, uh they had New Japan stars there that weekend too, and mm. so they had like I mean there was every independent you can think of was running a show then, and uh, so you could go see all that if you want to. But there was one event called WrestleCon, and it's just like Comic Con, and it was on Saturday morning into Saturday afternoon, and then NXT was that night and other independent shows for that night. So um, we got tickets last minute to WrestleCon. So on Friday night, I drank a lot, and so. We all did, Joe, Craig, and I, and uh, we didn't go to bed until like 2 in the morning. So basically, we got up at like 9 in the morning, but we were all still pretty rough when we got up in the morning. But we didn't want to sleep the whole day away, not just because we were in New Orleans, because it's goddamn WrestleMania weekend. So we wanted to really enjoy our Saturday. So I had just the worst hangover, uh, pretty much. And I was like fighting it all morning. I tried as hard as I could to take Advil. It didn't work. I tried to drink Pedialyte it didn't work like I was just done like I had way too much Jack you
1: actually went to the store and got Pedialyte Joe
2: brought Pedialyte because yeah I was hung over on Saturday and I remember we were uh, riding an Uber over and I literally was just like yeah you can just let us out here it's fine because there was so much traffic down the major streets because everyone's in town for mania so uh, I was sweating so bad, I was sweating through my clothes, and I almost threw up in the car, like all over everybody. So I was like, "Let's just park right here and get us out. Just let us out. Let's just, come on. Let's go." So I made her like let us out, and I told Joan Craig, "I'm like, I'm dying, and if I didn't get out of that cab, I was either going to pass out or I was going to vomit or both." Jesus. And they're like, "Oh my god!" So we go, we get in there, and the wind outside felt good because it was sure. rainy and cold outside. Yeah, it's New Orleans, and so um, so I was like, "All right." So we get in the hotel, and I'm feeling a little bit better, and I'm like, "Hey." uh you know let's let's do wrestlecon so we do wrestlecon we go upstairs we buy tickets and already there's wrestlers you walk in it's like there's tables and booths everywhere and so many wrestlers like mm-hmm. just all around so um, at one point I said, okay, all these guys take cash for autographs and pictures and stuff like that. So I need to go downstairs. I don't have any cash on me. So I'm going to go downstairs and vomit in the toilet, which I did. And then I went and waited for seriously like 20 minutes. Cause there was one ATM machine, this goddamn fucking hotel. <laughs> it was the only ATM machine downstairs. Literally there was a line wrapping around like the, the front lobby. They and so I waited like 20 minutes in line so I could pay a $58 fee just to pull out money. And so I did that, and then I go, and, um, and I feel a little bit better, but I still have a little bit of a headache, but I'm, I'm starting to, to recover a little bit. And so the line to the one fucking elevator that they kept working, because they didn't want all the elevators working, because if everyone's trying to get in the elevators and go to the same floor, that will also cause a problem. So they didn't want that. So they literally just designated one elevator and had one guy that made you wait in a a longer line than the ATM to take to go back upstairs to the third floor where Russell Khan was. and I don't even know I'm not walking the fucking stairs. Let me tell you that right now. And I think they actually had the stairs closed down so people wouldn't flood the stairs and shit. so sure. so like so you went upstairs, so we get in this elevator and and I would say there's a weight capacity for elevators, and there's also like a a head capacity. You can't go over a certain amount of heads. So um, I, there had to have been, like, 12 people in this fucking elevator. And so the doors close, and I'm standing behind, like, this short guy, and he has, like, tattoos all in the back of his neck and stuff. And there was a particular tattoo that I was staring at in the back of his neck. Like, you know when you see something and you kind of have deja vu, but you're just like, that reminds me of something? So I'm sure. staring at this design on the back of this guy's neck. So I'm sure I look really... Like I'm sweating and like hungover and uh, I'm staring at a guy's neck. Uh, so I'm surprised. Like if there wasn't like 12 people just packed in the elevator, each suck for suffering equally. I'm sure somebody would be like, why are you staring at the guy like that? <laughs> so I'm just staring at the back of his neck and uh, I lick his tat- No, I'm kidding. Um, so oh, I, wait. I'm staring. At him, and I was like, I don't know what that reminds me of. And as I'm just working this out on my head, we finally get up to the floor, the third floor, the elevator door opens. And as it opens, this guy turned this guy whips this mask out of his right pocket. I mean, just like in one motion, takes this mask out, whips it's it up, puts it on his head, turns around. It's Rey Mysterio Jr., and he gives us like the wolf pack sign, like you know, the wolf yeah. pack sign, and then like and like sticks his tongue out. And then some agent or someone grabs him and whisks him right over to his autograph table. So, so and I was like, the whole time I'm standing behind Rey Mysterio, like in the elevator. I have, I mean, he's right in front of me, and I'm staring down at him. He's like, and he's short, so I'm looking down to my left at him going, that's a, a, a tattoo. I don't know what that is. It's triggering something. So straight up,
1: honestly, you're, what you're telling me is you're in a fucking elevator with Rey Mysterio, and Jess Birch, the fucking the wrestling fan of all wrestling fans, doesn't even fucking know it.
2: Well, I didn't see his face. I just saw the back, the back of his neck.
1: I, are you making excuses right now? I'm
2: just curious. I'm just... Well, no, and I couldn't. There's no way I could even get around with the front of that guy, that fucking elevator. It and it's like and, uh, the smallest elevator ever. In which, uh, and which I'm surprised Ray Mysterio like didn't have his own. I'm surprised he didn't keep one elevator open for talent. Now that I think about it, very poor planning.
1: But uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, so uh, it was pretty uh,
2: cool that I was in there, and he was. It was cool of him to turn around and you know stick his tongue out. He literally <laughs> could have just kept his head down, and then someone could have yeah, just ordered him, and you never would have known. But it was cool. Yeah. So
1: it it, make, it makes for a great story. I mean, if he if he just walked away, you didn't know. You would have never known. But the fact that he turned around makes it for just an
2: And they had, I mean cool that huge story. stars there. They had bigger booths that had like time from two to you know five. This person's going to be here, and that was reserved for people like Sting. I think it went on for three days. Oh, I think geez. they did it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, we just went Saturday, but they had like Goldberg. They had Sting, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Austin had the longest line I've ever seen in my life. They had Austin. They had uh, God uh, Trish. Trish and Lita, I think, shared a booth. Um, I'm just trying to remember off the, you know, and sadly enough, like, not to go off on a tangent on here, but, I mean, you, in the middle of the the little banquet hall that they reserved was, like, just, you know, like, the Hillbilly Jims and Duggan. Sure. Duggan's a big deal. Everybody knows who Duggan is, but yeah. Duggan was, like, in the middle. Um, but then you had, like, bigger guys on the end caps. Nice. You had, like, RVD. You had, like, those guys like that who were a little bit bigger. DDP had a fucking, like, uh boy band headset on don't you
1: dare disrespect ddp yoga
2: under my roof and it was totally it was hilarious he was like shrilling and like talking it was like a walking info commercial behind his oh he's selling yoga yeah but he was super first of all ddp is really tall he's He's a really big fucker like i was like wow and, uh, but he was, like, so super personal, like, personable with everybody and, like, super nice. Jake Roberts, who is also deceptively tall. We yeah. always knew he was tall, but Jake Roberts He's was really tall, tall, even in person. Scott Hall was really tall in person. I was standing right next to him because mm-hmm. I came in an entrance, and I just – I feel like this big guy next to me to my right. And then I was like, God, like, why are all these people, like – people were like kind of cutting me off as I was walking in. It was right when I came up from Ray Mysterio punking me out like a bitch. So I came, I walked in the banquet hall and I, I knew I was standing next to a big dude. I just, but I was still kind of hung over and just, I'm looking at the whole thing and the people are like, like cutting in front of me. And I'm like, why are you cutting in front of me? And I look and it's Scott Hall, like talking to people like right next to me. It was awesome. It was cool. like it. so, uh, uh, I, I got a chance to get Mean Gene's Jean's autograph, uh, which was funny, funny because Craig was texting one of his friends back home and, and uh, Craig's like, yeah, everyone's here. You can imagine. But like, if you knew these people were here and I think Craig texted him like Gene Okerlund uh, and a few other people, who do you have to get? And one of his friends was a you know longtime wrestling fan, too. was like, you got to get Gene Okerlund. And so I went over and got Gene Okerlund and he was super what a gentleman like he was. And I'm not saying that because he passed, but he was super like funny and charming. And like he had like an assistant there with him and he was just like a. Uh, He took my money, like, you know, it was like five bucks or whatever for a picture and an autograph. I didn't care. I gave it, I don't, whatever, like jeans worth it and, uh, and uh, so I gave it to him or whatever and he wadded it up in his hand and pretended like I didn't give it to him and he was like, Charlotte I don't remember what her name was, I can't remember, I'll just call her Charlotte and he was like, Charlotte, uh, make sure you get this young man's money Did like that." No and he, though, totally, that. he totally just took it from me and wadded it up in his hand and um, and so she was like, oh, and she's like five dollars, whatever, he's like, and don't let him tell you that he gave it to me and it's not in my hand and he was just really funny like, he was just really funny and like, so, so he laughed witty. and I shook his hand and like uh, I told him 18 times my name was Jess but he still signed it Jeff. But I don't care. It was, uh, it was a picture of him and Hogan the night they wrestled together, that mm-hmm. popular vignette where they mm-hmm. trained and they took on, I think it was Fuji and was it Killer Con or something like that? Yeah, it well, uh, um, to meet me out front. It's 5
0: in the morning, man. Hulk, come on. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. Where are we going to go at this hour?
1: exactly what we said. The workout start 5 o'clock. What are you doing with that smoke blowing in my face? My God, what is this, Gino? Well, Hulk, I, I, I'm getting ready for breakfast here. I'm going to have some pancakes couple of eggs some bacon before i work out i was just having a cigar hey we're gonna start out on the right foot get that coffee out of your mouth we're gonna start out on the right foot
2: It might have been morocco but uh it was one of those two and uh and it was a picture after the match of him and hogan in the wrestling tights for the shirt on yeah it was yeah. it was awesome and he put two jeff thanks or whatever and yeah. you know so i uh i still look at that affectionately even though you put jeff but it was just cool it was cool to meet him and uh, I had met him years before in Vegas when he did Halloween Havoc, but I never got his address or his uh, autograph or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, it was cool. To, it was cool to meet him, and well, I, I met Bischoff too, and all that stuff. Bischoff, yeah, was, Bischoff Bischoff was really funny and like really cool, and he took a picture with me, Craig and Joe, and he was super nice. Like he was a great guy.
1: Well, speaking of uh, you know, make sure we get the names right. We're going to talk about a little bit of a well, a lot of a rewind actually. We're going to talk about a day of champions was the <laughs> venue, if you want to call it that in anaheim back in gosh jess what would you say early 2000? it was 2006 i 2006. believe six and what was really cool about this day of champions was it was pretty much anybody who was a champion you could think of that was in the local area was there so you got the ronnie lots of the world you got the jerry rice of the world you got the uh, bill waltons of the world right um you got everybody there uh that you could think of and but we all knew why we were coming um some of us did say Stone Cold, but guess what? Stone Cold didn't fucking show hey, up. So what? You, and, you know, what? Drink too to much
0: make. beer. You
1: yeah, know, when he you fu- care? on the weight, heavier than Hogan. He fucked off the venue. You'd have missed days. He fucked off the venue. But you know who didn't fuck off the venue? What? Was Hulk Hogan. All right? Because Hulk Hogan, oh. quite frankly, didn't fuck off any venue. If he had a date committed, he committed to it. That's one thing you can always say about Hogan. A lot, plus a lot, of, a, buddy, brother. a lot of other uh, very good things you can say about Hogan, right? So we have this day of champions. We go with about, well, it was really three of us. Some We had someone drive us in case we wanted to have a few drinkies, whatever. And it was myself, Jess, and a friend of ours, Chris. And fantastic day. A lot of good leadership stuff. You got really good stuff. I, I believe Brooke uh, Hogan's daughter actually sang the national anthem uh, before everything started, which was kind of interesting. I believe she was 14 at the time. Um, she's almost as tall as he was, though, at the time. She's, you know. All the Hogans are quite tall,
2: and <laughs> so later she would grow up to uh, date black people. As Hulk Hogan oh, told us, whoa, hey. Hulk Hogan told us that later.
1: Yeah, that's you know, that that, she that, likes that, that's people. his issue, not mine. But anywho, I can tell you what do you want to think about them, brother? What 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 happened after everybody got their segments in? They talked about what great leadership was, how to be a champion, which was really I I, I really appreciate. It. I kind of I I dig that kind of stuff. I think it's very motivating uh, to your own personal life. I I enjoy that stuff personally. Um, every person that was there had to commit to 45 minutes of autograph signing and pictures, right? And I I believe Magic Johnson was there and a few others, and everybody committed to their 45 minutes and left with the exception of one person. And that person happened to be Hulk Hogan, but not the way you think. That's what's key about this. Um, When we started getting in line, we all talked about it. I said, Jess, I know you want to get in Hogan's line. So let's check it out and see how long it is. Make sure it's not a big deal. We, get in the, we start looking at the line. We know this line is at least two hours long. We're like, oh, fuck. We're not going to see him. And then all of a sudden, we see them kind of cornering people off and, and taking care of things. Like, well, maybe we will. You know what? Let's just get in line and see what happens. Um, because quite frankly, I I didn't really care to get certain people's autographs. I wasn't really a, a 49er fan. I kind of wanted to get Magic's autograph, but I, I've kind of had that already. You know, it's a whole another story, but... Uh, so we get in Hogan's line, and all the while, we don't even know, Mr. T happens to tag along on Hogan's coattails. Uh, Mr. T had just gotten through cancer, a major battle with that, and he wasn't nearly the asshole that everybody had pegged him out to before. It's kind of like that Luger story. Luger almost dies and all of a sudden becomes a saint. Um, not that's a bad thing, but I think Luger really saw the end of it and realized that life is fleeting, and you don't have to be an asshole. And he became a great guy, right? I think Mr. T was kind of going down that same road. He kind of beat cancer. Well, he didn't kind of he did. And <clears throat> was super nice. All the while, we're sitting in line and we're like, oh, we're probably not going to get a picture. Man, this really sucks. Um, Jess even brought a book. Uh, it was actually one of Hogan's uh, first, I don't want to say autobiographies, but brought that with him. And we we're, were kind of bummed. We're like, oh, we're not going to get a photo op. You know, but okay, it was cool. We just got to see Hogan. He talked and we were only like probably 30 feet from him. That, that's cool. We'd never got
2: that's never happened. So we're trying to look on the bright side of the whole thing. Anyway, at this point, I'd seen yeah, you him, take it over from here. I'd seen him wrestle live before. Sure. I've seen like house shows and pay per views with Hogan on it. So I've seen him in person before, but, but I mean, you'd never as, actually met him as a yeah, I've never actually met him that close. So yeah. I just wanted that's the
1: fact. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really good point, right? We've, we've seen Hogan live, we've seen house shows at that point. Now, what's really cool about this coming into it, all of a sudden, these these staffers just start coming down the line and they start talking to everybody. They're like, Hey, um, we just want to let you know that Hogan is absolutely committed to giving everybody an autograph today and, and a picture. All we ask is that you don't use your cameras. We're going to take the picture for you. We're going to give you a card and you're going to go upload it online. Is that cool? And all of a sudden, we were like, hell yeah, that's cool. Cause we didn't even think we were going to get a photo. We were so excited. We're like, okay, this is awesome. All the while, we're waiting in line, and we still kind of freak out because, in my opinion, if Hogan had left after an hour, hour and a half, I don't think anybody, I don't think too many people would have been pissed off. Maybe a few, but people like us would have understood, hey, maybe he's got to do something. Maybe maybe his kid's got something they have to do. I don't know. You know, it happens. He's a human being. But all the while, instead of him leaving on us, he would look around the corner, and he would give a signal and get everybody all, all jacked up and fired up again. And then he'd look around the corner again, and he would flex those 24-inch pythons. Just boom. Give us one arm pose. Just bam. And you're like, dude, Hogan, yeah, it's so awesome. You just keep us pumped for two hours. Who can do that, right? And th- this is what Hogan was, and I still want to say kind of is. I know people have their issues with him now, but this is the kind of stuff we dealt with as, with Hogan as young adults. Finally, we get to the front of the line, and we get our photo. And I got to tell you, I was not as starstruck. I think I should have been. And I think now it might have been worse. But I wasn't the biggest Hogan fan of the world. I always respected Hogan. And I loved what he did and the story he could tell in the ring. But I was the first person to stick my hand out. He still had a sharpie in his hand. And I said, Hogan, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to meet you and and be able to just do this for you for a few minutes. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. And he shook my hand and said, you know what, man? You're welcome. He actually shook my hand. So I actually shook Hogan's hand. I think I'm one of the few people that can actually say that in our group, that I shook Hogan's hand because I just I just wasn't intimidated by Hogan in that way. But I think it's because I wasn't as big of a fan. I think now if I met Kurt Angle, I'd probably shit my pants, right? But um, <laughs> but Hogan, for me at that time, it wasn't that way. So I, I just, just took the opportunity and had it. And all the while, Hogan's looking to his left, which is Jess's right my right. And all of a sudden he goes, wow, you guys brought the book and everything. So you guys don't know. Jess brought uh Hogan's I think like first book first, it, was, second, it was his
2: WWF, his WWF autobiography, autobiography yeah.
1: which was great. You know, it's a good book. Um, and just like I want him to sign this. You know, I want him to sign it. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You should bring it with you, right? So he had it with him the entire time. And Hogan's like, Well, hey brother, who do I who do I make this out to? And then it just got really quiet. And I realized for the first time ever in my life, Sunday. I realized that Jess – couldn't get the words out. Jess is always able to verbalize anything and make a joke out of anything and have fun with anything. Jess, for just a moment, couldn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, this is not what I'm used to. And I'm like, am I going to have to tell him what Jess's name is? And I started to say, "Uh, yeah, this is Jess. And he goes, Jess, Jess, my name's Jess. Finally he was able to get it out. And Hogan's like, oh, okay, cool, brother. I think Hogan's kind of used to that, right? People just kind of being starstruck and but I was quite surprised. I never thought Jess would, would have that situation where he just couldn't say anything. We've been and hanging, brother. I, the coolest thing was at the end, Hogan not only signed it, but filled out the entire eight by 11 page of that book. Hey, you know, Jess gave him a full uh, written um, signed It took his time with it. And then we took a picture with Mr. T and Hogan. And uh, I still have that picture framed to this day. And uh, I, I personally think it's, it's one of my favorite experiences ever because not only because it was, it was Hogan, it was because that Day of Champions and that kind of stuff, but the fact that Hogan took his time and way overstayed his priority. He, he stayed more than twice the time he had to. Which, by the way, if you listen to a lot of Hogan's stories, that's the norm. Hogan, If Hogan needs to stay longer, he will. He understood the fan base, probably to his detriment of his personal life. But he did that, and, and you have to respect that. He was bigger than the industry at that moment. In, in, in more than one moment, but definitely at that moment too, um, and I think it's just a fantastic story, and I love to love to share it. I, I I'm so so humbled and honored in hindsight to be a part of that. Uh, just I'm sorry, I kind of took the the wheel on that. Did you have anything want to add to that?
2: Well, as far as Hogan's character when it comes to uh, treating his fans or how he treats his fans, yeah, uh, I can quote Bobby Heenan, who in Hulk Hogan's Hall of Fame clip said. Uh, The question was asked how Hogan, you know, how he should be remembered. What is Hogan's legacy? And Bobby Heenan said the way he should be remembered is as the greatest attraction this sport has ever seen. And I that is who he is. No matter who came after him, because there was only one guy that could have come first. I know that sounds cliche and lame, but he was the superstar that made them superstars. And yeah. Vince called them all superstars and all that stuff, and all that stuff. And uh, there guys. you are, my my wrestlers are superstars. Yep. Like he was legitly a superstar. He was just as big in the '80s as Michael uh, Jordan in the late '80s when Jordan started coming yeah. on real big. He was just as big as Michael Jackson mm-hmm. as far as as far as name recognition. Yeah, he was. No, just, I agree. He was just as big as Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all that stuff. Hulk Hogan was a legitly. It's and it's an overused phrase. He was a household name in the 80s and 90s. He absolutely was. Well, and for a wrestler to achieve that kind of fame, you could say what you want about the direction Vince took wrestling and the way Hogan took wrestling <coughs> and that and I, whether it was good or bad, that you know, all these territories fell and you know had the wrestling had to pick itself up from the ashes and start over and all that stuff. And you know, and then when Turner bought WCW, it's the same thing on the other side. You got these two guys that just own everything and it's not fair, and you know, that's whatever, that's a whole separate thing. For someone to come from that kind of fame that I just described, in, two, in to go all the way to 2006, he's been put in the Hall of Fame already. He's had his nostalgia run. Uh, he came back in like 2002 and wrestled The Rock and did all that and stole the show and blah, sure. blah, blah. I don't want to brag, but he did. And so, um, so I you know, after all that, for him to be at a charity event was kind of cool. And then on top of that, for him to put in the effort that he did, and he didn't have to, and again – I know there's a lot of Hogan haters out there especially with the way he's been in the last 5 6 years and you know the scandals and all that stuff and and I'm not I'm not defending or condoning any of that. What I'm saying is the guy who got me into pro wrestling, he will always be the guy that got me in pro wrestling. Even if he, you know, and I'm not making lightly of this, even if he commits a crime or or murders someone and I I'm not trying to play on somebody else by saying that. I'm just saying trying to think of the worst things I could think of. That would definitely end his Uh, you know, uh, run with me as far as me being his fan. But at the same time, like he always will be the guy that got me into pro wrestling. So to see him in person and to see, you know, the way he treated people and to see that he was only supposed to be there for 45 minutes, but he stayed for for two hours total. Um, Also, Larry Miller is a pretty well-known stand-up in like the 80s and 90s and stuff. And uh, he was in a movie with Hulk Hogan. Uh, I believe he was in – uh, he was like the villain boss in the uh, suburban commando. And they did an interview oh, with Larry yeah. Miller years later. And they were like, uh, you know, of all the people that you've worked with, I think they brought up. Oh, you also did a movie with Hulk Hogan uh, back in like the early 90s. Right. And he was like, let me tell you something about Hulk Hogan. He was like to sum him up in a phrase, Hulk Hogan, quality human being. He's like, we would shoot on the movie set for 12 hours every day. And everyone's tired. Hulk Hogan's the star of the movie. He's doing all his own stunts because he's a wrestler and all that stuff. And he's doing everything in this movie. And, uh, you know, he's just been, you know, he's flown in on planes. He just got, you know, done beating himself up. And he's got a film for 12 hours on this movie set. And then, uh, you know, everyone would just go back to their trailer and hibernate. But sure. there was always kids and, and, you know, being brought on the set because, oh, my God, Hulk Hogan's on a movie set. So, you know, n- not just Make-A-Wish, but other people were just taking tours. And the kids, oh, my God, that's Hulk Hogan. And even adults knew who Hulk Hogan was, and they wanted to get his autograph. He would sign autographs for an hour, two hours after filming for 12 hours in a day and stay there until every single one was signed, every hand was shook. And then he was like, he would do it with no complaint. He would do it with all this energy and he would go back in his trailer and he probably passed out. But then he'd wake up the next morning, do the movie, see fans afterwards, do the whole thing. Oh, And, you know, again, it's a shame, you know, that he has his opinions – uh, towards certain races of people, or I can't even say it's his opinion. I think he was just—he he just was, appro- yeah, was using inappropriate language. That—that that a, a r- lot of people in America have gotten comfortable with using, and it's not okay to use that language. And I think no, we're no. at a time no, now where no, I know no, everyone, so everyone no, says, no. "Oh, Americans now in 2019, they get so butthurt." Oh, uh, but you know what? I think it's we needed to pull it back a little bit, didn't we? I think the late '90s and early 2000s and the Jerry Springer era went a little nuts. If you think about the Attitude Era and what we're able to get away with on TV and you know there was no there was no like you know when you would see something raunchy it would be a build up to it you know and then like it would that that one raunchy scene in a movie or that one raunchy joke by a comedian or that whatever it would pay off because it would be like the the last joke or it'd be the build up to that you know we got so desensitized in the late 90s and early 2000s yeah. to certain things and i think that uh, you know, now we're going harshly the other way. So, unfortunately, you know, years ago when Hulk Hogan got recorded, he also got in an age where everyone's literally walking around with a camera and a recorder in your pocket. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful when you're a celebrity. And I don't mean be careful as like hide that racism. I don't mean that. I mean, like, you know, you got to just be careful about what you're saying. It's not just, you're not judged anymore at public autograph signings like we're talking about right now. You're judged when you're drinking by yourself or you think yep. you're by yourself with your family on your boat Perfect. or yeah, you're the d- you judge at
1: the one yeah. person or
2: you think you're talking to your son by yourself in prison and, uh, oh, and someone's yeah. tapping the line. Broker. And again, it's wrong that he had those opinions. It was wrong. They talk like that to is. begin with, but again, like, you know, Hey, we all in private has, have it's said right things right. that we probably aren't proud whole, of. Something but it's his right. right.
1: Caveat was
2: just well, it's his right, but it's also well, people's it right, right also to also not like, like him because no, of it. And I support that. It was also just trying
1: to comfort his son.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the spin that he, Put on it, and even no, as a that's wrestling just, fan. That's what I believe. Even as a Hogan fan, if I can see that that's what he did. If but. my
1: kid was in prison and he had that overwhelming sense of guilt, and I was afraid he might hurt himself, I would tell him whatever I had, whatever to tell him you needed to, to make sure he came him. out of prison. Okay, and well, in all honesty, funny. I think no, I think no, Hogan's uh, there's so many people that have no idea how that
2: what that's he, he pun intended. I think uh, his life needed to come crashing down a little bit because <laughs> because he was you know I mean, even after his uh, you know his prime, he Hogan knows best got Hogan <laughs> knows best got famous. I mean, yeah. Yeah. how many times did Hogan get famous? He was famous in the rock and wrestling era. Oh. He kind of went away for a bit, then he re revolutionized everything with the NWO, True. and then he was famous. Then he went away for a little bit, then he comes back, and nostalgia was running wild. Hall of Fame. Uh, Hogan knows best becomes a smash hit, uh, as a reality TV show. And I mean, the guy, you know, three different times from 1983 to 2006, seven, eight, nine, like, you know, was, was in the news and in, you know, people's homes and, you know, relevant in a sense, you know, so it's kind of, he's had a hell of a run. So to get the experience that we got with him that year at that, that charity event was pretty, it's something I'll never forget.
0: Even though I couldn't talk. You you uh, can't deny what Hogan's done. And who cares? I mean, he said whatever he said. I give Hogan shit because I just like to make fun. It's just fun to troll about it. But I love Hogan. And you know what? He's not a racist. And that's coming from a partial colored person. Hogan
2: is not a racist. And he's been it's around. Just, he and said
0: stupid shit. Who cares? He says stupid stuff. That's and it's not it okay. And,
2: you know, it's not all right. He he got comfortable in his own celebrity. And again, that whole five or six year window when when it still, and still to this day, people do stupid shit like celebrities not realizing, again, that every person has shit. a fucking yeah. recorder in their pocket, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you're going to get recorded if you say stupid shit or do stupid shit, you know? And to this day, in 2019, celebrities are like, huh? How did you film that? I don't even know. Yeah. The, uh, people call out culture. It. So and, it's, and again, it's not okay. I'm not condoning it's it. It's called any. Alexa, bro. And I'm not, I'm not trying to rant off, you know, on this about. off the oh, subject, yeah, but <laughs> it just links in. So that it was a good story. I want to end it on a good note. It was a good story. Uh, hey, hey, Alexa, a good well, record,
1: record everything that I do that's wrong in my life.
2: Let's okay, that. you're okay. sustainable bitch. Automatically, but you do. To play devil's advocate, you do have a responsibility as a celebrity. You know that's your job. Your job is also to mind your p's and q's in fucking public, like. It's, it's your job. It really, so, is. I know. I, can you imagine having your life filmed twenty four seven? I get that, in boohoo. So a
1: celebrity but, could never, you know, wander off into the bathroom and kind uh, of stroke one. off. Well, out. that's what's
2: dumb about it. Well, I mean, judge on what you do. If in your he's going to be life, in a place where somebody too. can record him stroking one off, then uh, yeah, don't do that.
1: Chances are, just yes, <laughs> on a that. cell phone. It's already being camera over. toilets. Just saying.
2: Bro, <laughs> the toilet yeah. cameras—is that the what they call them? The the snowflake culture. The fact that calls out these people. Can you believe people like that? They put a camera in a toilet. Yeah, I don't, that's ridiculous. And you sit, what and, and they're like that. I didn't even know that was there's a, new, a, song song all. a thing. There's
1: the main event. Like, Let's keep the tangent on Hogan right now. <laughs> I
2: thought we were talking about <laughs> toilet that? cameras. Hulk Hogan, yeah. brother. My oh, we're camera. talking about being wrestling. Being racist, we brother. If we, if we
1: want a toilet cam podcast, I'm sure we'll get a lot of followers for that. But I bet we we'll we'll get more
2: followers in a wrestling podcast. Yeah, we'll
1: hold that off for next week. By the way, speaking of Hogan, um, you know, Jess, brother, I'm going to keep the ball in your court right now. And I want to kind of try to set the stage here. There was a time in the uh, in the uh, mid to late nineties, my dumbass was trying to go get a degree somewhere. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, a few of my friends started to realize that there was a nice little event in Vegas called Halloween Havoc that ran, I think, for four straight years, right out of Vegas. And there's some phenomenal stories, and Hogan, I think, is the key to that. Jess, why don't you tell us a little bit about? Halloween Havoc and those stories.
2: WCW's first year, they had Halloween Havoc '96, '97, '98, '99, and 2000, all at the MGM Grand Arena in Vegas. So every single year, um, I we would go. Like whether it was, I think Craig and I went every single year together. But it would be a combination of different people. Some years we'd go with like four or five friends. Some years we would go with just. Him and I, and one other person, two other people. So the very first year was probably the best in the sense of I did not even know uh, what I was in for. In that sense, we were excited that we were going to go watch a pay per view and and WCW to give people a an idea of what WCW was like in '96. Uh, the NWO had was in its infancy stage. It had just erupted like three months before. Um, so Hall and Nash did their. Surprise debuts on Nitro. Hogan revealed himself as a third man at uh, uh, Bash at the Beach in 96. Uh, yeah, War games up. already happened with NWO. So NWO was only like three or four months old. Nitro had already taken over firmly in the ratings and put WWF as number two. Yeah. And so Halloween Havoc was like the really the – it was kind of the second big pay-per-view. The first one was Fall Brawl 96, which was a great – and um and the NWO storyline was just hot, and it's all every wrestling fan wanted to talk about. It brought wrestling wrestling back up in the United States. A lot of people give the Attitude Era credit for bringing wrestling back, and that was Vince's response to WCW's first shot, which was the NWO—a gimmick that Eric Bischoff copied from Japanese wrestling. Mm-hmm. But he thought True to that. himself, "God, I, I got I just signed Hall and Nash. I got, I want to bring him in in some kind of a cool way. I want to bring them in in." a non-conventional way. I don't want to give him a plumber gimmick or a carpenter gimmick or, you know, uh, whatever. I'm not going to do or name him after a vehicle, you know, or anything. I want to bring him in as like something real. I want this to be different. So he was at a Japanese show and he saw... I, I don't want to mess up the details cuz again some someone's probably going to call me out on it. But I think it was like all Japan and something else or New Japan yeah. and something else. They had some invasion angle where one company was invading the mm-hmm. other. So Bischoff's like, "Why don't I do that with Hall and Nash and call them like the outsiders and kind of yeah. kind of hint that they're coming in as to infiltrate from the WWF. Mm-hmm. They're trying to infiltrate WCW and make us look stupid." And uh he came up with the idea of I'm going to shit on my own company. I'm going to shit on WCW. And I'm going to have these guys come in and uh, we're going to every week we're going to reveal, you know, they're going to have another guy, you know, Hall debuted. I got I got my big guy, my big buddy that's coming with me. You'll see him soon enough. And then Nash the next week debuts out of nowhere, Uh, you know, and then now we have a third buddy. He's like a medium sized guy, you know, he's coming, you know, and all that stuff. And so they did the third man gimmick. It was it was Hulk Hogan turning heel for the. I can't say the first time in his career, but to most modern wrestling fans at the time, they don't remember Hogan when he was heel. I do. So for him to turn, well, videotapes and stuff. I do have and, you know, a videotape of that too. But I mean, uh, but it, for him to turn, it was really the first time he turned heel since he had been like the household name and everything. So people were yeah. were shocked. You never thought heel Hogan, even though he had been getting booed for a long time in the yellow and red because it was old and tired. But nobody really associated it with it. So, um, so, so yeah, so NWO was hot, and so the fact that it went to Vegas was another huge bold move on Bischoff's part because he's just like, dude, we're on fire, and you have to sign venues months before. So, I believe even before the NWO was a thing, Bischoff already had MGM booked. Yeah. So, WCW was going to go to the MGM whether you know they already had it booked. So it was just perfect timing. So. Wrestling was, was getting really hot again at this point. And especially hardcore wrestling fans were starting to come back around and the oh, mainstream yeah. media yeah. and just the casual wrestling fan, they were starting to come back around and, you and it the, was, it was to the
1: older viewer. back. Yeah. It now. was to
2: WCW first, not WWF folks. Just so you know, I lived it. So I know what I'm talking about. So, uh, we get there and, uh, you know, we're just excited. We, we have a room at the MGM and we're like, fuck yeah, dude, we're going to watch Halloween havoc. It's going to be awesome. Um, uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like, uh, you know, great to see a pay-per-view and live wrestling and WCW is hot. And I'm excited I get to see Hogan live again and all that stuff. And, and you know, there's other guys that we love there. Like, you know, uh, uh, Hall and Ash were going to be there, of course. And Flair was going to be there. So it was all cool. So we get there and, you know, we're like, maybe, just maybe we might just run into a wrestler in an elevator or something or whatever. <laughs> like that was our big hope, you know, like, uh, we'll catch someone. So we go, we watch the pay-per-view. It was a great pay-per-view to watch live. Halloween Havoc 96 was really a fun show. It Oops. opened up with Rey Mysterio and Dean fucking Malenko and they tore the house down wow. and it was, it was great just to see. And, and uh, it was a really good show. So, we're done with the show and we go upstairs and we and we just kind of have a couple beers because some of us were underage at the time. We weren't quite 21 yet. So uh, so we went upstairs and we had beers and, you know, on ice in a bathtub and the fucking sink. So we, you know, booze up a little bit or whatever. And we're going to go downstairs. And I don't know, maybe we might want into a wrestler who's, you know, trying his luck on the slots or the tables or something. So um, we go downstairs. The elevator opens. I see a big crowd of people. And in the middle of this people is Booker T. So I'm just like cool man we get to see Booker T he was super tall he's a big dude and he's everything you think you would meet when you watch when you meet a wrestler a big guy larger than life you know big awesome good looking guy muscular and all that stuff so he was being really good spirit with the fans he was signing their autographs him and him and his brother uh um Stevie Ray lost the tag belts that night to uh Hall and Nash so um so it was just cool. He was in good spirits, uh, talking with all the, the fans and stuff, right in front of the elevators. So I was like, dude, I didn't want to. I didn't want to mess around and wait in that big crowd. So, and plus, yeah. security was kind of ushering us out of the hall because it's a small hall. Where the elevator of is. Course. So, um, so it was cool. I was like, dude, we got to see a wrestler close up and personal. That's that's awesome, you know. So I was like that's it our night's made we're going to go whatever. So we walk around the corner and Eric Bischoff later in his podcast would call it the Betty Boot Bar. Yes. We didn't know what the name of it was. Yeah. But it was a bar that was up probably on like a 3 foot platform. I don't even know the size of it. I mean it was it was a decent sized bar and you had to walk up like three stairs to get on this 3 foot platform and there was this bar. And on it was Arn Anderson, Flair and like a bunch of other wrestlers, and there was two security guards guarding the front two entrances of this bar. So we knew, like, all I think all of us except for Nick and one of Nick's friends were underage. Craig and I were underage. We were under 21. So we knew if we got carded, we would get kicked off the bar. But the bar was so crowded that there's no way we could get on anyway. So we're standing, uh, you know, like at the bottom of the three-foot platform looking at this, you know, everyone on this bar. And and Arn Anderson was there with a bucket of... uh uh, ice down Coors Light. And the funny thing was, is during the pay-per-view, he fought Luger and uh, Luger hit him with the chair and hurt his neck. And they, they quote unquote, took Arn Anderson out on a stretcher. And apparently the stretcher stopped right at the bar uh, in front of a bucket of beers. Cause Anderson was whooping it up and having a good time with flair and drinking beer at the bar. So, so that was so really cool. Classic. We couldn't get on it. So then I realized that, Oh my God, wrestlers have to walk from the elevator to this bar to yeah. get on the bar. So we met people briefly, just, I mean, just really quick highs from Chris Jericho, uh, who was super nice. Eddie Guerrero, who was really nice to us. Uh, Crispin Waugh came down, super quiet. Um, but, uh, but like shook our hands, said That's hi to surprising. us and all that stuff. Uh, you yeah, know, well, I don't know what happened. To that Trying guy to kill you somewhere. Mm. So, uh, so, but, uh, Guerrero <laughs> talked to us for like, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. Like, Hey guys, glad you guys like the show. you know? And he was selling his injury, which I loved. He was holding his ribs, which DDP worked on during the match, uh, that he had that night. So he was even kayfabing everybody when he's out. He's awesome. Jericho is really cool. Hey, do you guys like the show? Jericho is really nice. Gene Okerlund, we met briefly. He came down there you know, Hey guys. And whatever. he had a sweater tied around his neck and everything, he was all prim and proper. Gene Oakland. Um, and we met a ton of people. And, uh, one person was a Dick Luger. Uh, came down there and everybody else had no problem so Luger comes down and we're like oh Luger can we have your picture real quick and he's like no not right now (laughs) and then we're like oh he must have to go like he's going to save a you know a cat from a tree or a baby in a burning building or something he must have to go do something really important and what he did that was important he put his one foot on the first step of the bar and he stood there and was waiting for somebody (laughs) and waiting for somebody and waiting for somebody and then finally somebody showed up and then they both go in the bar so in that time he could have taken his picture with us or whatever but he was a prick ass so i'm here that he's a, you know a better person now and blah 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 whatever but luger was a dick to us another uh person that did not treat us very well uh was somebody that has passed away and i'm sure a lot of people will oh. take exception and that was dusty Rhodes of all people dusty Rhodes gave us kind of a bad Come experience on, baby. so we were taking a little bit of a break and we wanted to go to the restroom so we went around the other side of the bar and uh, there was really not that many people there. I would say maybe like six, seven people walking down the this side, this side corridor where the bathroom was. So we come out of the bathroom. We're walking down this corridor. And walking towards us is Lee Marshall, who at the time was a WCW announcer. Uh, Heavyset guy, glasses, mustache. He talked like Tony the Tiger, like, yeah. hey, kids, I. Like, and so he was walking with Dusty Rhodes towards us. So we stop him. No respect. No honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard We're like, oh, Dusty, you know, can we have a picture real quick? You know, all that stuff or whatever. And we, Nick had, like, those disposable Kodak cameras back in the day. See, so there's no cell phones back then. We had a disposable camera that you had to get developed. It took, like, three days to get developed. And then a week later, you had your pictures. Um, so Nick was like, yeah, you know, he had the camera ready and all that stuff. And Dusty looked at us, and he goes, nah. Not right now. And I'm like, really? Like, and then we look at Dusty, like, did Dusty yeah. Rhodes in an unpopulated hallway just tell us no? Now, everybody's entitled to a bad day. I understand this. And I'm not sure. I'm not ripping on him. Maybe he was going to, maybe he had a big shit he had to take or something. I don't know. But, like, it was just, you know, when, when four fans, five fans stop you in a hallway, that's not crowded. It's not like we were in the middle of the casino and he's like, if I stop now, I'm going to get mobbed, you know? But, and let's be honest. In 1996 the world was clamoring for the NWO and other people, not necessarily commentator Dusty Rhodes. I'm just wow, saying. Man. I'm not saying people wouldn't recognize him. I'm just saying he wasn't stopping the mainstream crowd at all. What, so we were like shocked say? that he said, nah, right, nah.
1: This- so, but he's well, the second most no, So no. I, don't, I don't remember the
2: exact words that was said. Come it was on, just was more dinner. of like, a, Next to Muhammad you know, Ali. like, oh, come on. Are you sure, Dusty? And Lee Marshall, of all people, was like, come on, Dust, just take a picture real quick. And Wow, they're great. And so, like, so we said, OK, yeah, no problem. So finally, Dusty goes, fine, real quick. I got real quick. So we take the picture and I don't know what I did with the picture, but the picture tells a thousand words because we have a look on our face like we're all being forced to do it. Dusty has a look on his face like someone just shoved shit in his mouth and he didn't want to be there. And like it sucked really bad because it's totally summed up the exact experience. Now, I choose to believe all the stories that all the people inside the business and outside of the business, quite frankly, have told about Dusty, about he was a really great guy. He was a nurturer. He nurtured a bunch of talent. He was a good man and all that stuff. I choose to believe that. And I don't choose to believe that because I'd want to, you know, I know he's something else. I want to. I believe that he was a good guy. I believe for, sure. for some odd, weird reason, I caught him. We caught him in a weird moment. He didn't want to take a picture. It sucks that it went down like that. But I'm being honest. That was my only it altercation happens. with Dusty Rhodes.
1: That's too bad.
2: So it sucks. It, it really it wasn't. It wasn't fun. Luger, I I kind of expected because even by that time, we'd heard that Everybody we were sort of a dick, yeah. But to point. get that from Dusty, I was a little sad. Uh, uh, Macho Man, total opposite. He was on the bar, Uh and uh, we saw him dip out. There was a back entrance to the bar that just the employees took, and that sneaky son of a bitch went down that ramp. Uh So Nick, Craig, and I ran around to the other side of the ramp real quick, and we caught him. And he looked at us. He's like, oh, you caught me. And so we're like, okay, you got to take our picture and all that stuff. He's like, all right, real quick. Because legitimately, unlike Dusty, Macho would have gotten mobbed. So we macho was just around the back of the bar, meaning if somebody would have walked around the corner, somebody wouldn't want like, that's Macho Man Savage, and then fifty people ran over. So Macho's like, yeah, real quick. Nick goes to take our picture, flash doesn't work. Macho man goes, Oh, that's it. I'm out of here. Just yeah. kidding. Ooh, and like it's so a dead. Like fucking so yeah, in yeah. the picture was awesome. The man. His fingers were like, I mean I
1: was just to say, was he was he huge? He was he,
2: I mean, I always taller yeah, than yeah. him, but yeah. he was a massive man. Like really? he was he was stack, He was stiff, like as far as like you know, yeah. body wise. He was like tight, yeah. like a tight. Working out like everything. and uh, yeah, his fingers were like sausages, and like we shook his hand, we're like Jesus Christ, like this guy's a big guy. So that was a really, really good uh, experience. Uh, another good experience was uh, a guy again, Hulk Hogan. Um, We're standing, we're we're gawking at the bar and then we hear this commotion coming from the entrance of the hotel and there's like, there's like probably like 30 people you could see like security walking down and this mob of people in the middle. I just see this bandana bouncing up and down and right away everyone's like, that's Hulk Hogan. So he comes on the bar with this entourage of like 30 people and um, he gets on the bar. And in the meantime, so many people have like clogged the general walkway up in front of the bar. That security is yelling at us. You guys got to keep moving. Like you're clogging up. It's a fire hazard. You can't just stand here. You got to keep moving, blah, blah, blah. So we're like, whatever. But we see Hulk Hogan getting on the bar. So no one's moving. So Hulk Hogan catches the security guard, like kind of giving a shit. And Hogan leans down to him and he goes, what's the problem? And the security guard goes, well, sir, um, they cannot just stand in the hallway. It's a fire hazard. We have to keep them moving. So Hogan said, well, I'm sure if you let me stand up here and I strike a pose for these guys and everyone takes a picture, everybody will move on, right? Everyone's all, yes. So he gets on. He flexes a double bicep. Everyone takes their pictures and they move on. And that was another great moment me in memory I have of because he didn't have to do that. And that was such an awesome thing for him to do, and he was brother, a heel at brother. that time too. And go, sure. oh, but he was—you know—it was after hours and all that stuff. And That's like he didn't, yeah, he did not have right. to do that, and he did it, and everyone loved it. And that was another thing I can put in my I love Hogan uh, memory bank. But God, yeah. uh, there's so many good stories in Vegas, like so many good stories. Another one in particular was with Flair, and this was in the year 2000. Yeah. All the stuff I told you before was all in the year 96. Uh, we didn't really meet anybody really in a uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. I don't. We might have ran into a couple people, but it was very. Uh, fleeting. I did have a nice half an hour conversation with Pedro Morales, which I really enjoyed actually. I don't think I've ever told you that before. I yeah, bought him a couple Coronas yeah. and uh, I talked to Pedro Morales for 20 to 30 minutes and it was, it was fantastic. A super nice gentleman. And it was just cool to sit and talk to him. You know, nobody knew who he was and I knew who he Except was. You, yeah, yeah, And I sat down and I was like, that's Pedro Morales. I'm like, hi, Pedro Morales. And he was shocked. He's like, you know who I am? I was like, yeah, fucking, fucking yeah. Pedro Morales. How would I not know who you are? And uh, not knowing, you know, I'm, I'm a wrestling crazy person. Like, so I studied and, you know, tape traded and learned about who he was years before, but so yeah, I bought him two Corona's and we talked and he was a perfect gentleman. And uh, one of his favorite wrestlers at the time was Brett. He just talked about how good Brett was in the ring and about how he respected Brett. And I think I asked him if you were Hogan, would you do everything the same? He's like, I would do more. I'd make more money. You know, he's like, I would do everything that he, he talked about Hogan was a nice guy and all that stuff. And he just, yeah, he was out to make money and, all that stuff. So it was cool. So another one was in 2000. It was Flair. Now, by the year 2000, anybody who follows wrestling knows that WCW was in the toilet in the year yeah, 2000. Yeah. And uh, it, was it was not all, good. It was all so done. The, yeah. the house was still pretty full. They still put a lot of people in 2000 in NGM. I would say that arena holds like 16,000. And they probably put like a good 13,000 in there still for, for falling apart like they were. We are tour, and we're doing it better than anybody else alive. Now, Buddy Landell... It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, Kids stealing, Woo! Wheel dealing, in light, jet flying. So the bar was not this bar that I just described in 1996 that was vibrant and had Dusty Rhodes going, nah, 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 and all that stuff, like had just faded down to this bar that had probably like 20 people on the deck, 30 people maybe. Yeah. And the only wrestler that was up there in 2000 was Flair. And uh, we didn't know this. So me, the girl I was seeing at the time, and uh, Craig, we were sitting at this oh, bar. Yeah. And about five people to our right, Craig looks over and he's like, that's fucking Ric Flair sitting like five people to our right. And I was like, oh, my God, it is. And It was Ric Flair drinking a glass of wine. So Craig pulls the bartender over and says, hey, go, can you go ask Mr. Flair what he's drinking and ask him if I can buy him a drink? So the bartender goes, yeah, no problem. So he goes over there and I can't. we couldn't hear everything because they were just far enough away to where you couldn't hear. And, uh, and I see Flair look over and he points to the girl I'm with and he's like, her? And then the bartender's like, no, no, him. And then pointed to Craig who was next to her. And then Flair like had a smirk on his face, said something to the bartender. Bartender walks back over to Craig, services a couple people on his way back over and finally gets to Craig. And Craig's like, so what, what can I buy him? What's he drinking? And he goes, oh, Mr. Flair said you can't afford what he's drinking. <laughs> and uh, and I, thought, I thought that was the greatest Ric Flair answer. And I wasn't even mad because I thought it was genius. And I thought that that is totally Ric Flair, and Craig laughed and he's like, "Fair enough, no problem." <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and Flair never looked over once at us, by the way. But um, but it was just such a perfect Flair answer; it was awesome. That's uh, so great. That was a great story. And my last story of Vegas was a uh, was that same year. So I go upstairs uh, and uh, I go to sleep, and um, Craig stays down uh, with I think uh, buddy, I think the same buddy Chris that we were with uh, oh, okay. when we met Hogan. And uh, so of course, like you know, late in the bar, here comes Jeff Jarrett. And Jeff Jarrett comes up and with uh, Jeremy Borash. A lot of people know him from TNA, but he worked for WCW before WCW went out of business. Yeah, so they sit down at the booth, and Craig is there with. Uh, Chris and I think it was kind of like the similar booth, so they could they could scoot over. So Craig scoots over into the booth with Jeff Jarrett. He's like, Jeff Jarrett, I'm a big fan of yours, and you know, blah blah blah. And you know, there was really no one at the bar, so Jarrett wasn't worried about being bothered or anything. So they talked for like 45 minutes, and Cra- he somehow convinced Craig that he was going to allow Craig because Jeff Jarrett uh, revealed that uh, Craig was like, Hey, where's where's Nitro tomorrow? And Jarrett's like, Oh, it's in uh, at Irvine on the college campus in Irvine. It's in their uh, little civic center and uh craig's like oh my god like let me drive you there and jeff jarrett's like what and he's like let me drive you there we live in southern california we live by irvine um he's like so we will take you there you just get us free tickets and i'll drive you there you don't have to worry about spending money on a rental car you don't have to worry about anything i'll drive you there and Jarrett's like i don't even know you and you're gonna I'm, I'm gonna trust you and i'm gonna ride in your car what kind of car do you have and it was a small four-door car that craig had it wasn't even anything big so Jarrett's like okay well i got a lot of luggage and craig's like that whatever and uh, he's like, we'll put it in the back seat. Jeremy can sit in the back seat. And Jeremy's like, thanks. And Craig's like, well, I'm just being honest. Craig's like, no, no, no. You can sit in the front seat. Jeff, you could drive if you want. That way, you know, I'll let you drive my car. That way, you know, you're going to get to where you're going to go. And I'll sit in the back seat. And Jarrett was like, well, what are you going to be doing in the back seat the whole time? Craig's like, I don't know. Probably just staring at you. He's like, well, now that's creepy as shit. I don't <laughs> want to go with you. So Jarrett was laughing. It was all good hearted and all fun. And uh, Craig tells me this story in the morning, by the way. Yeah. Uh, So then, uh, so finally, after it's all said and done, Jarrett has Craig convinced that Jarrett's going to allow him meet me down here at whatever time in the morning (laughs) in the elevator and you can take me to Irvine and I'll get you into Nitro. Uh, Which jokes on Jarrett because that Civic Center held like 9,000 people and Nitro, I think, legitly only drew like 1,000 people like the next day. That's how bad WCW was at the time. So he should have given us some tickets. so We would have been a little bit more asses than some seats there for them. Um, so uh, so Jeff Jarrett and Jeremy, they get up and they excuse themselves. Well, it was nice talking to you, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, we're going to go upstairs and we got to go to sleep. We got to get up tomorrow. And so Craig's like, yeah, no problem. I'll see you downstairs, blah, 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 blah. And then so Jeff Jarrett leaves the platform. And as I told you, it was up on like a three three foot platform, yeah. this bar. So as Jarrett goes down, he had to kind of walk by Craig's table again. But he's down off the platform by this time. So he gets down and he goes, oh, hey, Craig and Craig leans down through the railing. He's like, yeah, Jeff? And he goes, yeah, sober up, bitch, like that. And Jarrett smiles and walks (laughs) to the elevator. And Craig looked at me, and he's like, so I don't think Jeff Jarrett's going to let me drive him to Earth. <laughs> but, and it was so great. And Craig said that he was really funny, Jarrett was, and he was really cool to sit there and talk to him. But it's just funny that Jarrett like trolled him the whole time that he was down there. It was pretty fantastic. I think out of all the people I
1: haven't met, that would have been one of the best people to meet is Jeff Jarrett, if you can have a conversation like that. that's just If you
2: could catch phenomenal. them in their in their late years, like in 99 and 2000, where mm-hmm. WCW was just falling down the toilet, um, you could probably have some cool conversations with a lot of wrestlers. But uh, yeah, I was an yeah. old man and I went upstairs probably at midnight, and I think this was like one or two in the morning where Craig ran into Jarrett. Wow! But th- that's those are my Vegas stories. Yeah, and some of those are absolutely incredible.
1: I, I think it's such a unique environment where they're in Vegas, they're all at the same hotel, everybody knows where they are, and somebody that was virtually untouchable is now right there where you can even, to Craig's point, sit at the same booth. Um, quite quite impressive in 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 itself and its own right, just. Being able to talk to some of these guys, and you know, even the mean genes of the world, watching Hogan control a crowd so we don't block fire exits, watching Jared telling our friends to sober up. I'm not fucking. You're not driving me to fucking Irvine. Like just, just to be able to have that conversation. No, nobody can say th- Like how how many people could really say that that's happened to them? You know, you'll you'll never see situations like that again. We 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 can talk about. Well, oh shit. Do you guys really want to talk about this? I mean we got to talk about times that weren't so great.
2: <laughs> this is probably, I don't care about anybody's story. This is probably like oh, the greatest wrestling yeah. story ever, ever, ever. the best. All
1: right. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to lay the backdrop for this a little bit for you guys. Um, and I think I'm going to have Jess take this over because I'm not sure if anybody could tell the story better than Jess at this moment. So um, this is really the year of late 95. Um we are just graduating high school in our
2: class. I think because... It was, it was summer, and we know yeah, we, it's, we had graduated. it's the hottest fucker in the world. Yeah, and, and, and by it's the way... Hot, Lake Elsinore, hot. Yeah,
1: we're, we're talking about summer in the Inland Empire of Southern California. Yeah, this is, is the desert, for those of you Triple that don't fucking understand. digits. Yeah, triple digits in the summer in the Storm Stadium. For those of you who don't know what that is, this is a minor league baseball stadium, right? And I and I know for a fact that Jess, even, uh, Jess and Craig even talked to certain wrestlers that wrestled in that at Halloween Havoc events later. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was so fucking hot. They even remember it. And like, they don't want to go back. And by the way, WW, WWF and WCW, WWE, whatever you want to call it at the moment, no one has ever been back to that venue. They will never book no. it again. It won't happen. So because it was so fucking I bad. went to
2: a show after that, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. indie shows Yeah, there's there, an right? yeah, indie show with indie- I think one show. I went I went with Tito Santana and Snooka was the main an event and <laughs> Valentine was on it and I don't even remember. But since- Oh, that was the war at the shore. That's yeah, what well, they called uh, that yeah. one. Valentine but was the, drunk. But let's be honest. Since 95,
1: to. WWF or E has never been bad. No. Well, it, it also shows you how bad
2: business was in 95. Of course. And, yeah. and for both companies, they they 95 wasn't great. But not, yeah. for WWF, 95 was trash. So
1: literally, these fuckers are wrestling outside in triple-digit heat. In a, a – st- The Storm
2: studios. Stadium holds what? Like 6,000 people? Something maybe. like that. Not Maybe. Not even sold out though, Maybe. Huh? maybe. Well, they put they put because it's a baseball field. So they put yeah. the ring on uh, not even on the diamond. It was away no, from the diamond. It was no. almost in the outfield. But the whole floor was full. Sure. And then yeah. uh, I would say yeah, most yeah, of sure. the stands were full. It was it was a decent showing. Well, I would say I would say 3500 uh, people. Well, let's, so let's, be, like let's, let's, let's let's
1: be honest about it. I mean, how often would you get a venue right there in your town so people yeah. were amped to go? And at this time, there, there couldn't be more than 30. And wrestling was
2: not mainstream at this country. point. It was really, it was down. But there was, I would say there was, was like 3,500 to 4,000 people there. It was way a down. decent turnout. Way down. So,
1: in, in the realm of that, right, what we have is we have a series of shitty matches. Let's be honest about it. We got Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart topping the card. You got The Undertaker kind of
2: getting his, uh, I should call him the comma? the, the B <laughs> status against called The main event, just so Mustafa. you know, was... Uh, uh, the dudes with the attitudes, I think they call it, Diesel and Sean, (laughs) against, it was supposed to be Sid and Tatanka from the Million Dollar Corporation, but Sid Mm, no-showed, as usual, or didn't, or couldn't show up. And then, so IR fucking S replaced it. So it was IRS and Tatanka.
1: Which, by by the way, IRS is... uh, Good wrestler.
2: I'm not saying he's not, I'm saying... Just, just... Just underappreciated. I'll sit. I'll
1: stop there. Got
2: but, got my yeah. mouth all fixing for some Sid and he doesn't even show up.
1: No, fuck you! Didn't care about Sid. Let's be honest. I mean, but anyway, is that another Sullivan on the right? Goddamn. All right. But anyway, so as we get into it, by the way, we have front row seats to this show, and we're seventeen, eighteen years. Cause you're what fifteen? We yeah. We got no, another key thing is we got
2: front. We got <laughs> front like row eight seats or so.
1: How much younger than this? Jesus Christ.
2: Cause is 12 right now. I'm 30. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah, we got front row seats for this that we got front row Front seats. row, fuck yeah. I've never gotten front row since then.
1: And cuz is it's mainly like two, two to three seats behind us. Couple probably. rows, yeah. Couple, Couple rows, back. rows. back. Anyway, if you want all K okay, Fabe to just disappear, get yourself a front row seat Yay, at any sure, house or show anywhere, sure. right? Because what you start to hear is you start to hear counts here. Okay, we're going to do this on three. They're talking to each other. I'm like, oh, fuck. All kayfabe is destroyed when you're in front of a front row seat. And, and again, to Jess's point, you have to make that decision. Are you going to deal with the fact that it is kayfabe and it is planned, it is um, predetermined, and they know what they're going to do. And once you make that decision, if you go the way we do, you're a wrestling fan for life, right? That's just the way it is because it is a craft. It is an art, and they can still get hurt. And they're doing this for your entertainment. Fuck you, Bruno Sammartino. Not can still get hurt. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they can and they do. They can and they do. To your point. These
2: back surgeries and hip surgeries are real. Yeah, (laughs) it's no fucking joke, right? That shit's real. I totally agree. Neck surgeries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Cena has had two neck surgeries already. (sighs) Yeah. Are you sure about that? As far as this
1: comes into it, we get into the realm of, we get into the Undertaker match. And it just so happens That at this moment The Undertaker happens To have a manager In the name of And
2: Undertaker is a face That's important He's a good guy He's a face He's a so good Him and guy. Paul Bear Are good guys And they're yeah. taking on Kama Not Who would later did. on Become the Godfather Who before that Was Papa Shango Yeah, yeah he, he had many uh, Re-innovations And there's a great Muda
1: There you go
0: snake Roberts The clock on my embalming room wall Is ticking down Only
2: three weeks away to WrestleMania! Oh yes, there'll be a funeral in Stone Mountain, Georgia!
1: Snake Roberts, you came to us asking of the secrets of the dark side and what you learned, you tried to use for your personal gain. Now the running's over. Now, three weeks. So, as far as this goes, Undertaker's a face, but you still have Paul Bearer, who is kind of like his, he is his valet, if you will, his manager, but it is face. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this over to Jess, who's going to tell, in my opinion, one of the most profound stories of a wrestling entertainer, Wrestler encounter that we've ever had, and even Cuz heard it in his wee little kid ears uh, from two rows back. Just take it was
2: away. a, it was a. First of all, it was it was still probably one of my favorite live events. To be front row was incredible. I'd never been front row before, and it was it was as bad as the product was at the time. It was still amazing to be front row and see these guys. I mean, right up front, like I mean, you could lean over the rail and touch the apron, probably. Like that's how close we were. Obviously, it was front row. So the Undertaker was facing Kama in a boring fucking match. Yeah. And um, like they all were. Yeah. And um honestly, most Undertaker matches were boring as shit back then. Yeah. Um before he started actually being able to wrestle on like 97, 98, 99, and he was actually allowed to be an athlete. Anyway, sure. so and Papa Shango godfather Kama was never a good wrestler anyway. He was pretty awful actually, just had really good gimmicks. So we're watching this, it's a house show quality match, it's terrible. And uh, so Paul uh, uh, Bearer is, you know, the manager of Undertaker and he's on the outside of the ring. And our friend Joe leans over and we were never fans of The Undertaker, heel or face, just the just the way it was. Deal with it, people. So our friend Joe leans over the rail and says to Paul Bearer, and I quote, Paul Bearer, you fat slob. So Paul Bearer looks at us and Again, he's a face. He's a good guy. He could have easily taken the high road and just been like, Oh, I might be heavy, but I'm the Undertaker's manager. You better be careful or he'll bury you. He could say anything like that. He could have done anything like that and uh, stayed in character. And we would have been like, Yeah, whatever, Paul Bear. But instead, Paul Bear chose to hear that comment that Joe, and I'll repeat the comment that Joe said Paul Bear, you fat slob. Paul Bear leans over to him and says, Yeah, well, you can suck my fat cock. And that is exactly what Paul Bear said. And he dropped character. He went from the, Oh, yes, to his Southern, like, You can suck my fat cock. And like, we all looked at each other like, Did he just, did Paul Bear just tell us in a Southern accent to suck his fat cock? So we were like pretty shocked and we're like, I can't believe that he actually said this to us. So he circles around the ring, you know, back in character. Oh, come on, Undertaker. Come on. You know, and going around the ring, he loops back around to us and we're shocked. So we don't say anything to him, but he comes back over to us and he goes, and it's rich too. So not only did he tell us to suck his fat calc, he wanted us to know that he was a very wealthy man. Therefore, his penis was equally as wealthy. Um, so we were like, oh my God. So instantly he he goes to his Percy Pringle mode, which is probably Mm -hmm. what he was when he was in other promotions before the WWF. And he comes around again and to our right by about like two families in the front row was this family we didn't know. And they were African-American family and, um, they all heard what he said. And so did a lot of the people around the front row heard what he said to us. So people were starting to boo him. I would say about 20 people around the front row area would heard him. They're starting to boo him every time he came around. So this, you know, African-American family was booing him as well. And one of the kids that we were kind of talking to, you know, during intermission and stuff like that, we kind of just were chit-chatting because we're all front row. We were part of the front row club. So um, uh, we were talking to him and Paul Bear comes around when he's booing him. And he goes, oh, shut up, Leroy. Why don't you go steal some hubcaps from the parking lot? Like we know you're going to. And I'm like, oh my God. So again, uh, let me, let's recap. Paul Bear, in his real accent, told us to suck his fat cock. He told us that his cock was rich, too. So him and his cock shared a bank account. And then this African-American gentleman that was sitting next to us, he told to go to the parking lot and steal hubcaps like black people usually do. So I didn't know that about black people. First of all, I've heard a lot of stereotypes about black people, but I had no idea that one of their favorite pastimes was to go out to parking lots and steal hubcaps. I had no clue. But apparently Paul Bear knows more than we knew uh, at the time and that black people love them some hubcaps and love to go in parking lots and sporting events and steal hubcaps off cars. So... Either Paul Bear was ahead of his time, or that was uh, something that would get Paul Bear in trouble for in 2018 because people would have recorded that shit. So uh, that that out. is our Paul Bear experience at the Storm Stadium in I believe it was July, June or July of 1995, and uh, I will never forget it because it was uh, uh, I I I don't think very highly of Paul Bear after that, but I get it. Call you know, like out. to be to be fair, it was triple digits. Paul Bear, if anyone's seen him, uh, was probably three feet tall. And about probably 350 pounds, legit. And uh, so he was never comfortable. And he was in this this uh, uh, what was his profession? Um, oh God. Paul Bearer was the mortician. Yeah. So he was in like a tuxedo like all the time. All like black, that. So, yeah, day. he's in Lake Elsinore in an outdoor stadium in probably 109, 110 degree weather. That's and I'm not hot. even exaggerating. Well, awesome. He's in a tuxedo. Yeah. yeah. And then someone leans over the rails, calls him a fat slob, which he obviously knew he was a heavy gentleman. Uh, I don't know if he had clean habits, but Joe apparently felt that he was a slob. So he called him that. So again, he just snapped and probably just, you know, suck my fat cock. But we were that young looking kids. He told a bunch of kids that were basically teenagers to suck his fat cock. I mean, look, look. And he's I, again, Jewish I knew team. he was in a house show, it was non televised. He, you know, it was triple digits and he was like 350 pounds and seriously, like probably five foot eight. Um, But at the same time, like, I I never respected him for breaking character because I'm like, you know what, man? Like, you could have done a lot of different things, like I said earlier, like just stating character and you better stop or The Undertaker's gonna bury you. Like, whatever. And we would have been like, okay, whatever, Paul. But um, yeah, he decided to uh, let us know that he did not appreciate that comment, which it wasn't a very nice comment on Joe's part. Uh, However, um, I was pretty shocked that we we got Paul Bear out of character that day. I
1: also personally feel that Joe. Our, our good friend from even
2: oh, Joe can push buttons. He has a way Joe can of, push of buttons. finding
1: what your button is and push it in record setting time.
2: And Paul Bear had a big, fat, sloppy he, button. You must
1: Joe be pushing
0: it. Hogan's buttons when he called Nick. Oh, shit.
1: <laughs> right, how about when you're you, oh, you away with it? How about when you're in New Orleans fucking pushing police officers' buttons? That's not very smart either. But hey, you know, it's Joe. that's Joe. That's Joe. What are you
2: gonna do? We we love him. You know, we enjoy the visit. Yeah, that's my uh, horrific uh, Paul Bear story. It uh, it will stay with me forever because it was yeah. just a, such an unreal thing.
1: It, it is truly one of the greatest encounters we've ever had with any kind of wrestling persona. Not to say that that's good or great because we've had great experiences that were positive, but it is mo- the most incredible experience I've ever had. Because in our mind, this is what you have to think about, Jess we were just out of high school. We were in the summer of the light of our lives and so much of, of what we had to make a decision on. If we're going to continue to be wrestling fans when you're this is hindsight, by the way, if we're going to be wrestling fans, is this going to be, you know, what we're going to deal with? Because we started to realize that kayfabe is not very real, you know, in a situation of this is all prescriptive. You start to really learn about how this works and you start to really see the breakdown of what of what's going to happen um, in in the realm of of wrestling, how it works, and everything you thought was real is not. And, and then on top of that, at this moment, you got Percy Pringle just shitting on everything you possibly could believe in. Or even possibly imagine what would be of a reaction, even if it was kayfabe. He just. Movie was said, so awesome here. F- he just said, fuck off. This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it's just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the. It's, it, you know, when you think about where we were as kids, teenagers coming to adults, it, it is the greatest story that we've ever been a part of a wrestling encounter. So that's our stories. You guys got anything to add? Anything you want to.
2: No, I just, I'm glad that we got to do this episode because it's kind of, since it's our first, I wanted to kind of us to introduce to people, you know, how long we've been wrestling fans. And, you know, like we said in the beginning, we are just fans. We don't have any ties in the industry. We don't work for any companies. We just decided to do this. And I wanted to, I really wanted us to do this first episode to introduce ourselves and just tell cool stories that we had. A lot of people have gone to see live shows, but that's it. They just see the show that's on in the ring in the squared circle. And then that's it. They go home and they tell oh, it was a great show or it wasn't a great show or whatever, but we got a chance to actually meet wrestlers. A lot of people um, have not had a chance to really meet wrestlers. You know, they've watched them maybe walk from the arena to their rental car or, you know, wave to them and they get waved back. But I had some, you know, we all three of us have had some legit contact with wrestlers and talk to them and got to kind of know some of their personalities a little bit. And, you know, even in Craig's case, you know, got to talk to Jeff Jarrett for 45 minutes or, sure. you know, like, uh, you know, Paul Bear told us, invited us to suck his cock. I wish I would have done it because I'd be a better story. But I um, pass. but yeah, it was just That's really. It was, I just wanted people to know me. that going forward, we're really going to have uh, you know, good topics. We we're not really going to talk about today's product. We might have new segments. We might here and there kind of you know drop you a little tidbits. Alls, you know? But I feel like if we talk about today's product, it's not in a great state as far as WWE is concerned. And uh, as far as creative and all that stuff, and I think every show will sound the same. I want I want to bring back memories for other people. I want to talk about, you know, uh, modern history, ancient history, everything. You know, I want to talk about topics and really give people something cool to listen to. And and if you disagree with us, I think that's even better. You can leave comments. You can email us. You can do all the stuff. And uh, I, we encourage the comments. If you, if you hate us, you guys sound like shit. You guys should fucking die. Cool. Send it to us. Email. I don't care.
0: Well, just keep me going. Paul Bear more.
2: told me to suck his dick. Do you really think that you yeah. telling me to die is going to make you feel any worse than Paul Bear telling me to suck his dick? I don't yeah. think so. Or if you
0: don't like it, it doesn't matter because we love pro wrestling, so this is what we're going to
2: do. Yeah. So no, it doesn't I matter. I agree completely. I love sucking Paul Bear's dick, yeah. so I mean. Oh, yeah, <laughs> My
0: right, favorite Well,
2: this is the OWP oh, signing
1: yeah. off. A couple of uh, episodes we're thinking about coming in the near future. We do have some things in the can or are close to in the can with... The history of the Intercontinental title, we also have some ideas of how to, when we talk about the art of selling, whether you oversell or not, and uh, we even have, I think we have some ideas of what wrestler scared the shit out of you when you were a kid, or maybe even an adult, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm sure Cuz really was scared of nails as an example. Actually,
0: you know what, that's funny, because not that I was scared, but I actually legitimately thought, like, man, that guy is... that guy's a scary dude. You don't want to piss him off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right, and, so and, in hindsight, you laugh about it because you look at all these guys, you're like, oh, why was I scared of that? But as a kid, you might have been scared. Who knows? So those are the kind of things we're going to talk about coming up. If you guys have any ideas of or any uh, insight of what you would want to hear about, uh, please uh, send us some responses uh, through our channel. It uh, Sounds like we have OWC, our wrestling channel on YouTube, coming up. So that's uh, the OWC signing off, guys. Suck my fat cock. Suck 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 my fat cock.